because they will know we are disciples of Jesus by our love for one another, right? Okay, so that gets into our message series today. We're talking about a brand new, and this, this message specifically is called apoplectic. Apoplectic is, is a burning anger, just being mad on the inside, and you're going to find out why we're talking about this, because there's something about this, the theme of this series that just caused, caused Paul to be apoplectic, but then also should also cause us to be apoplectic and have burn, burn with a certain anger. We talked about resistance, what makes us resistible to the world and even to the, to the church. And so much of the things that you resisted about the church, the church also should resist. And so we're breaking that down continually over five weeks. Now, I'm going to give you a warning here in about a couple of weeks. You may want to throw stones at me and run out of this place, but it's okay. I've been stoned before. I can deal with it. All right? So (laughs) you just need to know we're going to get through it, and God is going to challenge a lot of our hearts just in the same way Jesus challenged hearts because there's so many things that we're stuck to when it comes to our idea of church and temple model thinking that is rooted inside of us, and it's the very things that... We grab a hold of, but we also dislike it whenever it happens to us. And so we're going to continue on that. Last week we talked about, we talked about the essentially the arrival of Jesus signaled something absolutely brand spanking new. Now this was not something, some religious 201. This was not Judaism 201. This was Jesus showed up, he launched, he initiated something brand spanking new, and it ended something we are calling the temple model. The temple model was a reference to the Jewish temple, but it, all, it started way back with the, the approach of the Egyptians, the Assyrians, from the, the Persians to the Babylonians, from the Greeks to the Romans, and then ancient uh, Ju- Judaism, the temple model. So the temple model is this, what you see is sacred places, sacred texts, there were sacred men, it was always men, and then sincere followers, or we could say superstitious followers, or oftentimes even scared followers. So they were, they were sacred places. Sometimes it was usually a temple or some kind of ground, something had happened on, and it was considered uh, sacred, or there were sacred texts. Maybe it was an oracle, or maybe it was a scribe, maybe it was a symbol of something. Uh, I know in Honduras, there's Mayans, or used to be Mayans, and they, they, they've kind of mixed in with the, the, the Spaniards that came in. But there were there sacred temples there, even where we go, and there's symbols that they worship, and so it was sacred. But there was always sacred men. It was always men. The temple model always had men uh, it, articulating the texts because uh, obviously they're the only ones that are educated enough to, to share what God has to say, right? And then there were sincere followers. And so what it was was uh, the, 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 the sincere men, or the, sorry, the sacred men, would tell the followers, hey, here's how you need to live, and if you don't live your life this way, God is going to get you, and here's how I know, because I'm a sacred man, reading sacred texts in this sacred place, and so you should be scared, and so this was how the temple model thinking has been since, since, uh, since it started around the world, not just in one spot, but around the world, and so people would live in fear. People would be very superstitious, uh, and the temple model was prevalent all over the world. And in fact, unfortunately, it's alive in many places even, even today. So, but as we saw last week, when Jesus showed up on the scene, he inaugurated, he initiated, 
he launched something that was completely brand new. It was a total departure from the temple model. He established what he called the brand new covenant. It was a new covenant. It was a new agreement. It was a new situation. It was the old is gone and the new has come. It was a new command. And he said, if you just get this one command right, if you start living out this one command, then you probably don't even need to worry about any of the other commands. None of the other laws are going to apply if you get this one command right. And then, and then it would create a new ethic. And this whole new ethic would, would trickle down to every situation that you lived out, every relationship issue, and every life circumstance. This new ethic that Jesus came to bring would change everything, and it would change the world. Then, then there was a new movement. And Jesus said, I'm going to build a new gathering, a new congregation, a new assembly, an ecclesia, and this was the word that uh, William Tinsdale translated as gathering, as assembly, in the context of Jesus, what it should be. But later, it was tra- it was, that word was changed to church, taken from a German word, house of the Lord. The, the German word meant house of the Lord. And so we get church from that, and we're stuck with church. We're not going to change church. But what we have to do is change our idea of church. Church is not a building. Church is this right here. And we've been working towards that, and that's exactly what Jesus meant. Jesus was not coming and saying, I'm going to set up a new temple model. Jesus said, I'm going to tear down the temple, and he will rebuild it. But he's talking about a completely different temple. Once the physical brick-and-mortar temple would be destroyed, he was going to raise up a whole other type of temple. And so he began to explain these things, and this is what he set out to establish. And Jesus said, I'm bringing a new movement. It's not a knockoff. It's not another religion. It's an entirely brand new movement. So the temple model was built around the standard that only the elite could meet. So only, only those who were highly educated, only those who could afford it, only those who knew the letter of the law or whatever the, whatever the religion or belief was, whoever the elite were, those were the only ones that could meet the standards. Well, Jesus came in, he actually raised the standards, and then he leveled the playing field and he became the sacrifice for the whole world. He took everything that they believed according to the temple model, destroyed it, raised it above what they could even hold, destroyed it, and he said, here, I'll be the sacrifice for the whole world to enter in. And then the temple model required followers to come to God, come make peace with God. But the Jesus model says, no, you go make peace with men, God can wait. The temple model was nation-specific. The Jesus model is, it's not about geography, it's about the whole world inclusive. This is no longer about sacred places. In fact, The the, the place that you think is the most sacred of all grounds is not even as sacred as the person to the left or to the right because that person to the left or to the right will always be more sacred than any piece of dirt that you will ever stand on. Jesus began to shift the model, shift the understanding. And so Jesus also launched something completely new, a completely new initiative, In the early days, the Gentiles flocked to this message because they realized my paganism's not working, it's dead, I need something that's alive and something that provides freedom. And many Jews even started flocking to this Jesus movement. In fact, all of Jesus' first followers were Jewish. So they began to leave what they knew. But the Jewish Christians from the first century had a very specific tension they had to manage. 
a very specific tension that, that made it difficult for them to abandon their old ways. These old ways were tough and to embrace this new thing called the Jesus movement. Now, because it just, it just didn't feel right to abandon their old, their old ways, their old decisions, their old traditions, and their old customs, because why? Old habits are hard to, hard to break, right? And old ways die, are hard to die. They're hard to kill. And for them, it felt sacrilegious to abandon their old ways and their laws. Does this sound familiar to anybody? And it felt very sacrilegious and disrespectful to abandon the ways that they grew up with. And that's how, that's how it is for many of us, even for this culture. And it leads us to a very important point. Our, conscience, our consciences determine religious realities, whether they reflect reality or not. Our consciences have been fine-tuned to believe a reality, what we often call is, is tuned into religion, whether it has any kind of spiritual truth behind it or not. The very things that you've been taught are most oftentimes your religion, the things you get offended over or strike your heart, and the reality is you don't even know why you believe it. And most of these things you can't even prove it in Scripture. But you hold dear to it in your heart because that's what Grandpa said. And that's, that's what we always did in our family, so that's what we're going to do. Religion. And we're talking about the very thing that makes the church resistible. Now, we, we've all had these experiences, and it all connects with us, and it all is similar to us. But have you ever had anybody tell you, uh, man, you just shouldn't feel that way. Like, this works really good in marriage. You should try it sometime. I, even, even my wife the other day got her hair done. She said, does it, how does this look? I said, yes, it looks like the picture. That, that was it. That was not a good enough, agree, uh, good enough answer for her. Uh, so, or somebody says, you know, I just feel, you say, I feel guilty about doing this thing. Well, don't feel guilty. You shouldn't feel guilty about that. Does that make you feel any less guilty than it did before that person said anything? No. Because your conscience has been fine-tuned. How about this? You have, some, you have some good people, friends. They're good people. You're good people. But they do some things that, man, it just bothers you. It bothers you down inside of your soul, inside of your spirit, inside of your, inside of your internal. Like, I don't even know why it bothers me, but it bothers me. And I don't even know if it's right or wrong, but something inside of me says it's wrong. And it, but maybe, maybe you're the one that does things that bother your friends, and you don't even realize that you're doing it. These are all fine uh, things that our consciences have been fine-tuned to and towards, and it's called religion, and you don't even know why it bothers you. There's really no spiritual basis behind it. And this is temple model thinking. This is the very thing that was brought into the new covenant that was residue from the old covenant. And in fact, and in fact uh, I'll give you an example about this so you don't get your, hurt, your, your feelings hurt. Uh, there's Baptists, Pentecostals, Protestants, there's, there's even the Lutheran churches, but you, you talk about, then, then there's Catholic church, and maybe you're talking with a Catholic, a Catholic and a Baptist or a Protestant, and you're thinking, well, well we believe you just, you just go and confess your, your, your sins to the Lord, and you're good, and everything's fine. Well, Catholics say, no, you need to go to a, a confession booth, so to speak, and, and you have to confess your sins to a priest, and, and then your sins are fine. Well, a Baptist say, well, well you know, Protestants say, well, we don't, you can't drink alcohol. That, that, that stuff's bad. It's the devil, right? It's the devil. Alcohol is the, the, the Satan. And then Catholics are like, well, we drink, we drink alcohol in church. 
And then Lutherans like, yeah, we, we, we kind of like that part of the Catholicism. We also drink wine in church. And then you go to another country, maybe it's Irish, and, and the church, the priest or the pastor actually takes the new guests over to the pub across the street to have a draft, buys a draft for them. So what's the deal? How, why, what's the deal with alcohol? Well, the Baptists or Protestants will say, well, well it's wrong. You're not, you're not supposed to. And the Catholics will say, why not? Jesus drank wine. And the Protestants say, well, well it wasn't real wine. Really? Our answer, our best answer is, well, you're not supposed to. But what does Scripture say? What does Scripture say about, about, about confession? What does Scripture say about alcohol? What does Scripture say about all these things that there's so many differences about and so many different opinions? And really, all it is is some things that people grew up with being told, but they really don't know what the spiritual truth is behind this situation or this, or this comment or this issue or whatever it is. And it's all religion. And we're all dragging around a temple model inside of us because we're confessing religion rather than the Jesus movement. So the way you were raised and the way religion is presented to you, it fine-tunes your conscience in that, I don't know if this is right or not. Religion. So here's what happened in the early Jewish, the early, early Jewish Christians. They attempted to assimilate Jesus into the temple model. Well, of course they would. I mean, after all, it was the Old Testament time. It was the Old Covenant. And then Jesus came, and he's just an extension of the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament, spoke all about Jesus. So it must be that we need to blend and we need to mix. And now that Jesus the Messiah has come, because he is the Messiah, now we just integrate him into the old temple model, the old way of doing things. And now Jesus, now God has come and and is present with us. And so now we just do the Jesus movement, movement, the old temple model way, right? That's exactly what took place. That's exactly what began to happen. That's exactly what began. They merged and they blended Jesus talk and Jesus thinking into temple talk and to temple thinking. And then, and then came the Apostle Paul to the church's rescue. The, the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, the, the top gun of Pharisees. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees, raised by and trained up by Gamaliel. He, he knew the Torah. He, he taught the Old Testament. He knew it all. And he, he caught wind of what this Jesus, Jesus movement people were doing. And he says, God, I've got this. And he set out to destroy, singly, single-handedly destroy everything the church was about. And he would have done it. Type A personality, you give it to me, I got it, don't worry about it, God, I'm going after this thing, I am going to take care of it. So he sets out to destroy the church, and God gets his attention, and, the Saul, and Saul of Tarsus becomes a Jesus movement follower. He joins the Jesus movement, and above everyone else, he understood, hey, this Jesus thing, it's not Judaism 201. It's not religion 201. It's not what we thought it was. This is a complete departure. And so he began to teach the Jews, this is a complete departure from, and not an add-on. Jesus showed up to do an, an entirely new thing. And Paul understood better than anybody else how dangerous it would be to blend and mix the old into the new. 
He knew that merging and blending was not going to work. So in his first of several missionary journeys that he went on, he went to this place called Galatia. Galatia, it was a a Roman province. It's in modern-day Turkey. And it begins to establish something new. It's in your Bible. You can find it in Galatians 5, or you, we have version. In fact, our notes, all these notes are on version. You can go to our, our, our page in version and, and select them, save them, download them, review them, and realize he's not crazy. He's messing with my religion. And so in Galatians 5, he says, he essentially goes in the, to this area of the world, and he plants these little Jesus gatherings, and he, and he begins to teach this stuff about G- Jesus, and he goes to the synagogues, and Jewish people begin to flock to him, and then, and then Gentile people begin to flock to this teaching, and he begins to change the thought processes of the religion, the old temple thinking. He leaves, and, and, and behind him comes another group of missionaries. He's out of Galatia. Here they come, and they said, hey, uh, Paul didn't give you the whole deal. If you want to become a Jesus follower, Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was a Jew, so you're going to have to become Jewish first. Then you can become a Jesus follower. Because after all, he's our Messiah. He was Jewish. You got to do what Jesus did. You got to walk in his shoes. So it would make sense that if you want to follow Jesus, then you need to become a Jew first. Now, I want to try to illustrate to you how the extraordinary emotion, how how extraordinarily angry the Apostle Paul became, how how angry he got over this statement that these other Christian missionaries came along and they began to mix these two beliefs. And in this little New Testament letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in the Roman province of Galatia, we learned what a big deal it really was. Now, in this letter, he talks about a group that was called the Judaizers. They were Jewish Christians. They were Christians. They were Jewish, formerly Jewish, of Jewish belief, rather. Jewish Christians who believed Gentiles must convert to Judaism to join the, 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 Jewish, the Jesus movement. Now, uh, they were, they, the people were Jew, uh, Christians, and they were Jesus followers. We've got that. They believed that Jesus was an extension of the Old Testament. We've got that. So if you wanted to be a Jesus follower, you need to be a Jew first. You need to be Jewish first, okay? Very complicated. It was very complicated for the, for the Gentiles. Why? Because there was a little surgery that was involved. Now, it seemed all really good, and it seemed fine, uh, but well, I want you to think, well, it, it seemed good, but the, it was a little bit complicated because there might have to be a little surgery for the men. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, thank you. But they, well, they were saying, hey, if you want to follow Jesus, you better be all in. After all, he died for you, so can't you have a little bit of a surgery for him? This was their teaching, and they were passionate about it. Why? Because it was real for them, because that's how they grew up. That's how their Jewish culture was, and that was their method. So they thought, this must be the only method. In order to be a Christian, then you have to do the same thing, too. Well, the Apostle Paul found out, and after that, he he left, after he had left Galatia, these other teachers came in and began to undermine the purity of the Jesus movement. The purity of the Jesus movement. And they said, hey, uh, it blends and it mixes and you have to be balanced and you have to be fair. Like, isn't that the world we live in right now? And he became, and I love this word, 
apoplectic. Apoplectic. You're going to discover he became so mad, he almost popped. What's the big deal? Why are you throwing such a fit, Paul? Why, why are you upset? And he's going to say, here's what the big deal is. Because you tried to blend the two. If you don't understand that the Jesus movement is a complete departure from the temple model, it will dilute, denude, and pollute the Word of God. The purity of the message of Jesus. It will dilute, denude, and pollute the pure message of Jesus. This is why Paul was so apoplectic. This is what had him, had him so upset. And here's, here is the Apostle Paul loading up on the Galatian Christians saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, what's happening here? The Galatians 5.1 it says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And let me just point this out. If your method of Christianity does not feel like freedom, then you're doing it wrong. If what you're doing, and you call it Christianity, and it does not look like freedom, you've been deceived. So he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Because that's exactly what the law was, and that's exactly what these Judaizing Christians were trying to bring back upon those who had been set free in this Jesus movement. Galatians 5.2 says, Mark my words. Now, there was no punctuation in the original text, but obviously translators knew that Paul was very passionate about this in saying, Mark my words, exclamation mark. Mark my words. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Wow. That's powerful. Now, Paul was not against the procedure of circumcision. In fact, uh, Paul was circumcised. In fact, uh, most because he was Jewish, he was circumcised as well. And most of, if not all, of the original uh, followers of Jesus Christ were circumcised. And, and many of you are circumcised. In fact, if you're circumcised... No, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Don't, don't do it. So, because that wasn't the problem. Paul wasn't against the procedure of circumcision. Circumcision in this context replicated, and it meant the Old Covenant, the Old Testament values of walking with God. This was a sign that the nation of Israel belonged exclusively and in a unique way to God. That was a Jewish, that was a, for the Jewish people a sign of a covenant. But this wasn't that. When Jesus came, it wasn't that. This was something new. This was a new covenant. This was something brand new. They were trying to trickle in that into this, and it never was going to work because you cannot blend the new with the old. Galatians 5.3 says, Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. This is a big deal. This is a big deal because that what they were trying to do makes perfect sense. They were trying to merge it, and they were trying to blend it. A little bit of Old Testament, a little bit of New Testament, a little bit of Jewish thinking, a little bit of Jesus thinking, a little bit of temple thinking, a little bit of Christian thinking. Paul, what's the big deal? And he said, wait, if you think that by 
circumcision, you can get the full benefits of the Old Testament, the Old, the old Covenant, then you've been deceived. You've got to do the whole thing. You've got to walk right. You've got to dress right. You've got to eat right. You've got to perform the whole Sabbath exactly as Scripture says. You have to obey all 613 laws. You've got to go the whole way. It's not just a little snip, snip, clip, clip. And can you imagine if we had in our equip track, the way you get in, guys, you're going to have to be circumcised in order to become a part of this church. It would be all women serving in this church, wouldn't it? And that's exactly what they were trying to do in this day, in this situation, because that's what they knew. That's what they knew, because that's what they were taught, and that's what they grew up with. And it felt sacrilegious to do anything different from what they grew up with. In Galatians 5.4, says, You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. Get it? You've fallen away from grace. Dang. So what you started was of a pure heart and was a full Jesus movement. But then all of a sudden, somehow, you thought you could earn it and works would get you there, and what you did was fall away from grace. That's strong. Now, it's like this. Let's say, and you can do this as it's fine, I've, you, but let's say you came up and you said, hey, Pastor Nathan, I love what, what you and Pastor Elliot have, have done for my family and done for us, and, and, and in honor of that, we want to give you a $100 gift card to your favorite restaurant, and you try to hand me that $100 gift card, and I'm like, well, man, that's so great. I'm very gracious. I think I'm very grateful for that offer, but you know what? Let me at least give you $50 for it. And you say, no, no, I won't take 50. I want, we want to do this from, from the goodness of our heart for you because of what you have done. And I say, well, let me give you at least $25 for it. Let's settle there. And you say, okay, you know what? That's fine. That, that's fine. You give me 25 I'll, and I'll give you 100 and then we work it out right there. Well, at that moment, that is no longer a gift card. That is now a discounted card. I just took the gift out of the card. And here's what Paul is saying. He is saying grace is the hallmark of the Christian walk. It's the hallmark of the Christian experience. Grace is God knew everything about you and he chooses to love you anyway. Grace is no secrets. There is no secrets from Heavenly Father. He refuses to not call you one of his heavenly children. Grace is grace and the moment you start trying to earn it through a surgery or law or anything else, you have done away with grace, and it now becomes a discount. And grace is a gift. And he says at that moment, you the moment you start bargaining with God and trying to earn your way, and the moment you think you can offer him something so good that you earn your way in, the moment you adopt a part of a system, you have fallen away from grace. And if you're going to start it with law and earning and even thinking you're good enough, then you better go the whole way. In Galatians 5, 6, he says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. And here it is. Here, the, anything abstract from this next thing is what Paul is saying. 
is resistible, makes us resistible to the world. Here is the very thing why you resist the church. Here is the very thing that why you said you would never go to church again, why your friends say they will never come to church again. Here is the very thing. Anything outside of this is the very thing why you yourself should resist the church. Your pastor is telling you to resist the church. Anything outside of this thing right here. He says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. This word expressing means to work itself out. The only thing that matters, the only way you're going to look like you are truly a part of this Jesus movement and you're not trying to earn it on your own is your faith being worked out into that person that you hate, that you can't stand, that you don't trust, that you, can't, you wish God would do something with him, the only way that you're going to be identified as a believer in Christ Jesus is the way you work out your faith loving that person. Oh, anything less than that is resistible, and that is why people don't like the church. Because we've done almost anything to protect ourselves from having to work out our faith and working it out through love. So we create systems. We create unhealthy systems, legal systems. And we say, here's why you're not good enough, and here's why you can't. And we set up all these rules and, and all these regulations and all these principles. And all of a sudden, we're sacred men. We're sa this sacred elite. And only if you match up to this can you do and Jesus says, only if you can work out your faith through love. And that is the very thing that is irresistible, but because the church has yet to do that, that's what makes us resistible. Paul is saying, if you really believe Jesus is the Messiah and he gave his life for you on the cross, then you've got to know he is for you. No more. Stop worrying about this. God, how are we doing today? Are we okay? Is everything okay? He is for you. Um, instead, instead of, how are we doing, Lord? Am I okay? And you're waking up with trembling. What you need to do is start looking around. How is my relationship with others who he holds dear to his heart? Here's why. Because he is for you. If he hung on the cross for you, then he is for you. But what he wants to know is, are you for him, and are you establishing and strengthening and working out your faith through love in the relationships with others around you? Because that's what will identify if we're part of this Jesus movement, or if we are modeling temple thinking. If your approach has anything to do with, God, how are we doing today, temple thinking, how are we doing? Temple thinking. Galatians 5, 7 says, You are running a good race, pun intended, who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth. And he says, A little bit of yeast works through the whole batch of dough. You put some yeast in some dough, and about an hour later, that thing is all swole up and bigger than this room. A little bit of yeast works out the whole, through the whole batch of dough. It only takes a small dose of the wrong thing to corrupt the whole thing. This is why a blend would never work. This is why mixing could never produce the Jesus movement that Jesus intended when he came 
to establish the new covenant. Galatians 5.12 says, For those agitators, those ones who are trying to put that yoke of slavery back on you, who are trying to put you under the law, who are trying to say the only way you can do this is if you do a little cut, cut, snip, snip, those people, those agitators, those ones who make me so apoplectic, those ones who are ruining everything, those people, he says, I wish they would go, go the whole way, and this is in your Bible, you should read it, it's kind of fun, I wish they would go ahead and cut their whole thing off. I wish they would emasculate themselves. You want to do some cutting? Cut it all off. This is how apoplectic Paul was over these Judaizers, these Christian Jews who were trying to push temple thinking into the Jesus movement. And if you think that you can earn your way in, you might want to go ahead and emasculate too. Because it's a gift. And it's by grace. And a blend is never 50-50 when it comes to temple and Jesus movement. It's never 80-20. It's always going to be 99% temple and 1% Jesus. We do it our old way, but we talk about Jesus now. No longer sacrifice him because he's a sacrifice, but the way we're going to do that, the way we're going to honor him is look like the old temple model. And Paul knew that leaders would become self-righteous. I'm fine and you're not. I can carry the law and you can't. Or I'm going to act like I'm, I'm good and you're not so that you won't know that I'm not doing well because if you know that I'm not doing well, then you won't see me as your righteous leader. Anybody ever been to that church? Yes, yes, you were raised in that church. Followers would become hypocrites. We dumb down the rules. We dumb down the laws. We make it to where this is where my conscience is comfortable. Here's the level of of goodness and godness that I can handle, that I can deal with. This is what pleases me. Paul knew that the text would be manipulated. You're, you're not good enough, and here's why. Scripture says this about you. Scripture says this about you. Scripture says this about you. And as long as I'm in my high place, I can tell you all the bad things that Scripture says about you so that you, you should feel guilty, and that so you will come and you will bring an offering, and I can make you right with God again. Sound like the power is in the wrong hands. Temple model thinking. People would be, they, Paul knew that people would be mistreated. Have you ever been mistreated by a church? Have you ever, has anyone ever put law over love towards you? Have you ever done this to the church? Have you ever had law in your heart over love when it came to the church? Temple thinking. The very thing, this very thing is what you resist, and yet you may be carrying it. The very thing is what you should resist, and yet we may be carrying it. Galatians 5.13 says, You, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. He's like, you don't, don't use your freedom to go fill up your sin bucket throughout the week just so you can come and dump it out on Sunday mornings. Don't use it to indulge your, fret, your, your flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And if you're concerned about keeping your religion over loving others, then you'll miss it. Ephesians 5.14 says, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one covenant, one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
The temple model says, God, how are we doing? The Jesus movement says, I need to make sure I'm right with all of my brothers and sisters. The Jesus model is concerned about what the heart of God is concerned about, and that's about relationship with others. Galatians 5, 6 says, The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And when you get this right, your spiritual walk will be defined by freedom rather than religion. When you wake up in the morning, you will feel freedom rather than, How are we doing, God? What do I need to do to serve you today? How can I perform for you today? And this is what has made us resistible, how we've treated others inside and outside of the church. And this is why Paul says you can't mix and blend the old with the new. A little religion ruins all the relationships. So we don't look up to evaluate our relationship with God. We look out and about and all around to see how we're doing with the Lord because that's who he's concerned about. And he says, wait, 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 I can wait. But you go get things right with your brothers and sisters. You go make things right with others because that is what the Jesus movement is all about. So the big question is, what does love require of me? When that person at work is, you're having to work with them closer this week, what does love require of me? Or that person you see at church and, man, you can't stand them, what does love require of me? Or that person that cuts you off in a line and you're busy and you're in a hurry to get to something, what does love require of me? Or that old relationship and, man, it's been broken and this person just keeps on burning in my heart, What does love require of me? And i got to wrestle that thing out because I've got to let love be worked out in my heart so that I can show my faith in the one true Jesus. And it can't look anything like this temple model. What does love require of me? Ask this question to yourself over and over in every situation where your heart starts to burn in a certain circumstances and religion wants to rise up. And here's why I, what does love require of me? And I, this is why I can't stand when this happens. What does love require of me? What does love require of me? i got to ask it a lot because it's hard to trickle in because we've got so much religion inside of us. I won't do that because so and so and so. What does love require of me? I can't stand it when they call me. I wish they quit. What does love require of me? I wish they quit asking me to. What does love require of me? You know your life situation and it's rolling in your head. What does love require of me? Because the only thing that matters. If you're more concerned about making it to church than how your relationship is with another human being, religion, because the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. That is the only thing that is going to make the church 
irresistible to the rest of the world. I want to pray for you, if you will. Just keep putting your hand over your heart. And just ask yourself, what does love require of me? And the Holy Spirit's probably giving you situations and circumstances, and, and in your heart you want to wrestle around with Him, and what He's doing is saying, here's where your breakthrough moment is, and here's your breakthrough situation, and here's your breakthrough relationship. And maybe you're feeling, here's how I judged another person, and here's how I handled this situation. But He's saying, here's what love requires of you. So, Father, I pray for grace over every individual, and I pray that we understand and embrace your movement, Jesus, the one that you came to give and to send by grace. And all you ask is that we work out our faith, expressing it through love. So, Father, I just ask that you help our hearts today to rid ourselves of religion and help us to remove and to move into relationship. We want to be wholly yours, Jesus. All the temple model thinking that's inside of us, all the religion, all the things we grew up with, all of the sacrilegious feelings that we have of letting go of the past. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. And in a moment, our prayer team is going to be up here after worship. And if you need prayer, if you just need someone to agree with you, would you come forward and pray with them and just let them be in agreement? This is a challenging message series. And I promise you in two weeks and three weeks from now, you're going to want to just run out of this place and leave because I am going to mess with your religion. So, Father, help our hearts. And help our minds and help us to get the temple thinking out of us for the sake of this world. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody say with me, amen, amen.